Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. As longtime listeners of our show know, each and every week I am blessed to have a guest offer insights into the weekly parasha, the Torah portion that is read in synagogues throughout the world. This week, um, we've decided to honor a uh, observance that takes place in the Jewish world just a few days uh, from the broadcast of our show, known as Yom HaShoah. We'll have more to say about that as I introduce my guest. My guest this morning speaks to us from Israel. Yael Eckstein is president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. This organization was founded by her late father, Yechiel Eckstein. Um, Yael was born in the United States, but now lives in uh, Israel, and she regularly blogs and writes uh, for the Times of Israel and the Jerusalem Post. She has spoken in international events, uh, including a briefing and panel discussion on religious persecution in the Middle East, and she shares her perspective on Judaism, life in the Holy Land, and her works with the Fellowship on the Fellowship's radio program called Holy Land Moments. Uh, It is a great honor to have you with us this morning and to share your thoughts with our listeners. Thank you so much, Rabbi. I am so happy to be here with you. Thank you for hosting me. So um, many of our listeners may be unfamiliar with the work of the fellowship. So let's begin with you sharing with them a bit of history um, and the uh, mission of the fellowship. Okay, great. So, um, like you said, it was my father, Rabbi Echiel Eckstein, Tichon blessed memory, who founded the fellowship 40 years ago. So we're actually in our 40th anniversary now. And he was a young rabbi. He just got a smicha from Rav Salavechik from Yeshiva University in America. He was sent by the ADL to Skokie, Illinois, to get garner support against the Nazi march that was going to take place. And he naturally went to the Jewish community, to the community of Holocaust survivors, and he realized that they were relatively small compared to the larger voice in Chicago. And that's when uh, Christian pastors and leaders came to him and said, we want to stand with you against this Nazi march. Now, it was the first time that he realized that for the first time, maybe in history, the Jewish people have friends. And so he said to them, he said, uh, you know, it's nice that you want to stand with us, but what do you want to do? You want to convert us? You want to kill us? I've read the history books. And they said, no, no, we we just want to stand with you, respect you for how you are, and come into a new era of brotherhood, um, largely based on the lessons learned from the Holocaust, that we have to stand together because this hatred can lead to something that is uh, beyond any of us. So it was there that it started, that this dialogue between leaders in the Christian world, like Pat Boone and Pat Robertson and Jack Hayford, uh, that they started uh, communication with my father, a rabbi, that led to Today, fast forward 40 years, um, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, which has offices in the U.S. and Canada and in Korea, as well as in Jerusalem, uh, being the largest philanthropic organization in all of Israel. Well, um, it is an exciting venture, um, and I'm sure that um, some of our listeners 
have experienced um, opportunities to stand in solidarity with the Jewish community, and some may live in uh, locales where that hasn't been uh, a possibility, but your work is certainly noted um, in all the places that you speak of. And you and your late father should be congratulated for taking this um, groundbreaking step to create a uh, monument to the possibility of uh, Jews and Christians working together. Our show this morning is really, I suppose, a uh, testimony to what happened uh, more than 40 years ago in Skokie, Illinois, in the United States, when there was a uh, an infamous march of Nazis through what is primarily a Jewish community, Skokie, Illinois, with then a large uh, population of Holocaust survivors. And that march was certainly one of the uh, milestone moments in galvanizing the American Jewish community to recognize, and as you've stated, the Christian community, that perhaps the lessons of the Holocaust um, were quite palpable. So let's begin for our listeners um, reminding them, um, in your own words, what is the Holocaust, which known to the Jewish community as the Shoah? Mm-hmm. Well, the Holocaust is um, something that's actually, you, you could talk about in historical tense, or you could talk about in personal tense. Uh, my grandfather was born in Germany and is a Holocaust survivor. My father-in-law is a Holocaust survivor. Uh, the Holocaust was the systemic uh, killing, murder of uh, 6 million Jewish men, women, and children across Eastern Europe uh, by the Nazi regime. And uh, and as we know, it wasn't only Jews. It was gypsies, it was handicapped, it was anyone who was different, trying to create this perfect race of people by eliminating and getting rid of uh, anyone who, who the Nazis determined weren't uh, this ideal breed of human. Um, and it's something that the Jewish people are still reeling from today in, in, in the fact that uh, we still haven't reached the numbers of Jewish people worldwide today as there were before the Holocaust. We still haven't repopulated those six million Jews who were killed. Um, and so you could look at it through many different eyes. You could look at it through the historical eyes. You could look at it through the who's to blame eyes. You could look at it through the what have we learned eyes. You can look at it through the eyes of the Holocaust survivors who are still alive today. And, and I look at it as the final opportunity to provide them with hope and comfort and uh, uh, friendship, um, food, medicine, everything that they need in these final years. So there are many ways on Holocaust Remembrance Day or Yom HaShoah to, to relate to the Holocaust. Cost, but um, I think all of them are important, and, and the most important thing is that we continue to market. So you're correct that we could spend um, many moments speaking about the history of the Holocaust, and many moments speaking about um, the lessons of the Holocaust. Um, and you've alluded to the fact that the destruction of six million Jews uh, decimated the worldwide population of the Jewish community of which we're still struggling um, to uh, reach the levels of Jewish population that existed uh, prior to um, the behavior of the Nazis and the murderous regime of the Nazis. But let's move to um, why should our Christian neighbors, and of course we may have uh, individuals listening to our show who are not identified as Christians, 
either because they identify with another religious tradition or with no religious tradition, why should others be interested in the events that we call the Shoah? And what does your organization attempt to help them understand? It's a great question. I think that the the lessons of the Shoah are relevant for everyone um, because in a way we're all different. In a way we all have differences from one another. Even when you're talking about the listeners of this program, you can't exactly put them in a box. And so uh, I think it's only natural to be scared of the other, to create um, libels sometimes about the other. And what we see today happening all around the world in different ways is uh, the breaking up of silos politically based on political or, or different um, world ideologies. Um, and I think the Shah comes to teach us how quickly um, a Western progressive liberal society can transform into something that is unrecognizable. We always forget the Nazis they cared about animal rights. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, today we could think of Nazis kind of like the Taliban. They weren't like the Taliban. They were part of society and they were uh, a progressive culture. It wasn't like in Afghanistan, the way that you look at the way that they're living then. And you had a Jews integrated in every part of life. You had Jewish doctors, Jewish teachers, Jewish neighbors, Jewish, and it was, um, the ability to cause so much mistrust, so much, um, I would say creating the enemy out of people that were once friends and that you're familiar with and having such a culture of fear that even those who stood silent, many people believe, are in a way just as responsible for what happened uh, during the Holocaust, because the Holocaust didn't only happen by those who were actively killing the Jews. It was also continued and allowed to happen by those who stood silent. So those who stood silently, and I suppose um, it's important to remember that in 1933, the National Socialist Party um, was elected uh, to the uh, parliament of uh, the German Republic, and that um, the leader of that party, uh, Adolf Hitler, was asked by the president of Germany to become the prime minister. And so there was a uh, legal process that was uh, followed in the country before uh, events turned in a very different direction. Um, which is always very scary, I suppose, in the common world where we see uh, democratically elected individuals um, turn uh, what might be seen as the democratic principles of those countries on their head. Um, your organization works specifically with Christians, and I think it would be fair to say that while there were many Christians who risked their lives for uh, to protect Jews and to hide Jews um, throughout uh, Europe. There were many who colluded with the National Socialist Party, and certainly uh, one can um, continue to look at the role of the Church and the Vatican in the events of the Holocaust um, and the Lutheran Church of Germany. Um, what do you say today in 2023 um, to Christians 
um, about their responsibility to learn about the Shoah and the role that believing and practicing Christians played in the destruction, not only of the Jewish community, but as you mentioned, others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you see during during the Holocaust, like you're saying, the Cory Ten Boons, who, because they were Christian, saved so many Jewish lives. And then you see the Catholic Church and you see the the spreading of the replacement theology was a huge part of um, making the Jewish community into the other. And of course, the replacement theology says that God chose the Jewish people changed his mind, no longer chose the Jewish people, and decided that Christians are the new chosen people, um, which led to lots of libels against the Jewish people based on religious tradition. And so it was basically transforming what, um, the, what, what, what the scriptures say, um, creating new rumors, blood libels, uh, and, and having it really set the path for the Nazis being able to have this concept of killing the Jews be accepted. Um, the Jews were made out as the enemy by lots of the churches then. And so I think that is a big reason why now um, uh, the fellowship has over 700,000 Christian donors who give from the little they have, the tithes of $25 a month, in order to bring a Holocaust survivor food box, in order to help a Jewish person from Ukraine make Aliyah to Israel, in order to provide bomb shelters in southern Israel and protect the Jewish people. And I think it's really this story, along with so much of, of course, uh, Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those that bless Israel, but definitely the story of the Holocaust and how did the world let that happen? And how did the Christian community not only let it happen, but pave the way that it was able to happen? I think today you see evangelical Protestant Christians um, in Western countries like America and Canada um, feeling this huge personal responsibility to, to make things right in whatever way they can, that now they're able to bless Israel and the Jewish people. You know, there are so many um, questions um, that emerge from our conversation, and you've um, identified one basis of anti-Semitism, and that's a theological basis, um, namely the kind of succession theory that um, in early Christianity, the uh, Hebrew scriptures were identified as the Old Testament and the uh, Gospels and successive books were introduced as a New Testament, um, indicating, as you so wonderfully uh, reminded our listeners, that there was a new covenant that had emerged. Um, how do you and your Christian colleagues and your Christian supporters deal with that um, religious perspective? Um, do they continue to believe that there is a new covenant and that um, the history of the Jewish people is simply overrun or marginalized um, by a new theory? Or is there a, a more meeting of the minds that we can have two common uh, theories that don't have to cancel each other out? Kind of a different use of the term cancel culture. <laughs> um, I feel pretty confident saying that at least 95% of our 700,000 plus donors 
very much reject replacement theology. And what the donors uh, that I've spoken to, which are thousands of them, uh, always tell me is God made a promise, a covenant. He doesn't change his mind. And actually, Jewish people say it uh, over the Kiddush every single Saturday. It is a covenant between us forever, which is directly from the scriptures, scriptures directly from the Torah, from the Old Testament. And so what, what, what the Christians that I've spoken to um, and who are involved in the fellowship's work say is once God makes a promise, a covenant forever, he doesn't change his mind. You can't trust a God who, who changes his mind. We believe the, the Old Testament as Jews and uh, for Christians, the Old Testament and the New Testament are relevant forever. And so um, just on that basis of does God change his mind after he makes a promise and covenant forever is enough for many Christians, and again, almost all of them that I work with, to very uh, outwardly reject replacement theology. Now that leaves uh, the question that you asked of, is there room for two? Um, and so uh, I, I've heard so many theological uh, uh, discussions on this and, and brilliant uh, theological leaders on both the Christian and Jewish side speak about this. And, and the dominant thought that I've heard um, from the Christian community is the Jewish people have a otile olam, a covenant between God forever. He made that covenant. He made that covenant, uh, that promise with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the Jewish people uh, didn't go out to try to convert others. Still to this day, the Jewish people don't go and evangelize. But there was a world that was completely uh, run by idol worshipers, which we know is bad in God's eyes. And so what my Christian theological friends say, which, which is, I think, beautiful and brilliant, is that the Jewish people don't go out and try to evangelize. And so Jesus was sent for the nations to transform them from idol worshipers to a monotheistic faith. And it's through that that the world has come to what we know today as a mostly monotheistic world. But there's still something about the Jewish people, this otile olam, this covenant between the Israelites, the Jewish people and God forever, that they didn't need that transformation like the rest of the nations did. And so is there room for both of us? There's definitely room for both of us. There's actually in the New Testament a verse that says uh, that Christians are grafted onto the rich olive tree of Israel and that Christians should remember, even more than the tree needs the branches, the branches need the roots. Um, and so I think that's this revival of Christians coming to want to know about, to study, to get involved with Israel and the Jewish people, and uh, going back to their, what they call Hebraic roots, the Old Testament, the Torah. And once you go back and read the Torah, it's very clear the Jewish people returning back to Israel is something that's uh, God's will, helping to feed the hungry and to uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem and to specifically be involved in Israel, which is the apple of God's eye, is something that's relevant not only for Jews, but as Christians who believe that these are their roots, it's relevant for them as well. In, in order to clarify for our listeners, um, do you think that the individuals who are... Um, committed to your organization um, would be identified as evangelical Christians 
Um, And how would you define evangelical for the purposes of your organization and the people who you have a wonderful working relationship with? Because as you know, there are many ways to define it. Um, And we're not, for the listener's sake, we're not talking about the politics of uh, evangelical voting in the United States. We're talking about how it might be used as a theological definition and how that um, theological perspective impacts on their wanting to and believing that they have a responsibility to support the survival of the Jewish people. Is that fair to say? Very fair to say. And actually, thank you for uh, bringing this up. The fellowship is completely non-political. So although there are many connotations with the evangelical community and political connotations in America specifically, we are completely non-political. We don't say which presidential candidate is best for Israel, which is something we get thousands of phone calls asking in election season. We take no position. We are focused on one thing, the humanitarian side of helping uh, Jewish people people in need around the world. So um, I, the way that most people would uh, 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 categorize or identify or describe evangelical Christians and what's relevant to our conversation today is, number one, um, that, that they chose this religion. They weren't just born as Christians, but that they chose to be Christians. They went through their own experience that they said, I want to live as a Christian. Uh, the second thing is that they go back to their biblical roots. It's a very big defining part uh, of learning the Old Testament and understanding uh, the, the Torah as well. Um, it, it's a big differentiation between Greek Orthodox or Catholic and the evangelical Christians. They don't only focus on the New Testament, they put a big emphasis on the Old Testament as well. And that's where you get to this kind of subcategory of evangelical Christians of uh, one of the core identities is standing with Israel, is recognizing that Israel is fundamental to their faith. And if when you read the uh, Torah, when you read the Old Testament, it's very clear the whole story revolves around Israel and uh Still today, as we're seeing biblical prophecy come to fruition, it still revolves around Israel. And so that's the real motivating factor. Both uh, apple, the apple of God's eye is Israel and Jerusalem. The promise of Genesis 12.3, I will bless those that bless Israel and curse those that curse Israel. They want to tap into that blessing. And also just the knowledge that the prophetic reality that we're experiencing now, the Jewish people coming home to Israel, of the land of Israel suddenly coming to bloom, that over 95% of our fruits and vegetables are grown here locally in Israel on a land that was once swamp, malaria, and uh, uh, one, one big desert. So I think all of those um, points are, are fundamental to understanding why Christians, evangelical Christians, stand with Israel. So um, I think it's not um, unusual to, um, in the history of the Jewish community, to have some um, confusion about how to understand the motivations of um, those individuals who identify as Christians and want to support Israel. Um, The history of the expulsion from Spain and certainly the Crusades, um, as well as later events, and the Shoah is one of them, um, makes Jews leery 
um, perhaps uh, inappropriately, but makes them leery of Christian allies. And one of the things that's often said, certainly in North America, is that evangelical Jews are interested in the land of Israel and and the state of Israel, but not very interested in Jews per se. Um, that the existence of Israel affirms their theology, um, but the existence of Jews is an impediment uh, to um, the redemption that they yearn for, and certainly a redemption that we yearn for, slightly differently uh, described. So to those who would say we should be leery of allies uh, such as evangelical Christians and the 700,000 who lovingly support your work, what would you say? Well, I think that the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is is actually the answer to that. Um, our donors are supporting the Jewish people. They're giving money to the Holocaust survivor in order to have food because she's a Jewish Holocaust survivor. They're giving money to the orphans in Jitomer, Ukraine, because they're Jewish orphans. Uh, they're giving money to the bomb shelters to protect the Jewish people in Sterot because they're Jewish. And so um, I think the fellowship is really the answer to that, that when the fellowship started, understandably, the Jewish community was very weary, and there was no uh, proof of concept, if you will. Um, there was no record of, uh, yeah, no, they actually don't want to change us or kill us or convert us. or uh, have I, And so today, the success of the fellowship that after 40 years, our donors know it was my father, an Orthodox rabbi who stood at the helm. It's me, an Orthodox Jewish woman who now stands at the helm, that they know that we're not doing evangelizing. They know that we're not uh, focusing on any sort of what you're alluding to of trying to change the Jewish people and only focus on Israel, but rather we are blessing the Jewish people for exactly who they are. I think that is the answer. That is Jewish Christian relations. Jewish Christian relations isn't um, uh, trying to take Jews and change them to Christians. That's an ulterior motive. Jewish Christian relations is based on communication, on mutual respect, on Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in peace. Um, and that's what the fellowship's doing. We're saying you're Christians and we love and support that. You're Jews. We love and support that. Let's see what we can do together to bring in a new reality that people don't have to question but can see. If our listeners want to learn more about the fellowship or even make a donation, how can they do that? Thank you so much. You can Google uh, International Fellowship of Christians and Jews of Canada if you're in Canada, um, ifcj.org if you're in America. Um, and we're, we're pretty easy to find. So on any Google search engine, you can put International Fellowship of Christians and Jews and you can follow my life in Israel as well, Yael Eckstein on Facebook and Instagram, wherever, wherever social media is uh, available. My guest this morning has been Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. I want to thank her for sharing with us on so many important topics and encouraging our listeners to do some investigation of their own on this important organization and the meaning of Yom HaShoah for the Jewish community and the lessons that it offers to all individuals 
who are interested in uh, preserving and sanctifying uh, God's creation of humanity and the world and the values that emanate from both uh, our text and other uh, sacred texts. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Thank you for listening. You can find a a recording of our show on chri.ca or on iTunes as a podcast. And I wish you shalom and a good day.